A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Francesco Totti is not a name that's popped up too regularly in the Irish Times second captain's football podcast, but it's going to pop up today, Murph and Ken. Boy, is it going to pop up today. Hi, guys. Hello there, Ron. Last night at the Stadio Olimpico, third place Roma were 2-1 down at home to mid-table Torino with time running out. The 39-year-old Totti is sprung from the bench and within 22 seconds nudges in and equalizes at the far post. Uh, immediately leaps over the advertising hoardings to bask in the acclaim of his adoring fans there, but he wasn't finished. Two minutes later, Roma awarded a penalty. Toddy knocks it in calmly and sparks scenes of wild jubilation. He's mobbed by teammates. Supporters go completely insane in the stands. Manager doesn't look as impressed, but I think that's uh, there's a bit of a personal issue going on with those two at the moment, which we'll get into later on. Are you happy for Francesco Toddy? A, a player I've never got the sense you've fully embraced again, um, over his 25-year career. Well, I was thought he was maybe a little bit overrated although when you look at his he is the second top goal scorer in the history of Serie A playing 25 seasons will probably help in that respect uh, um, I exaggerated slightly 20, he started in 1992 this is the 25th year yeah right? so probably, yeah, probably is 25 actually um, he well I mean he's only 39 how could he have been playing 25 it's not like he was 14 when he started was he 15 16 16 he's, he's 39 now turns 40 in September yeah, could be. Um, well, yeah, I mean, he is, he's second. I think only Silvio Piola has more goals than him. Um, his goal ratio of 0.41 isn't bad either. Um, especially uh, since a lot of it, he hasn't really even been in, like, you know, a main striker. He's been kind of a, a number 10 uh, or was a number 10 for a lot of his career. I loved it. I have to say, I love the scenes of him scoring these goals. He got a late equaliser at the weekend, also, and he's yeah. currently battling for a new contract. So, uh, yeah. timely reminder. It's great. You don't get, you won't get to see too many more times if uh, Roma's manager Luciano Spalletti has his way. He complimented Toddy after the game, saying, "Yeah, he's trading harder than he has for about seven or eight years." <laughs> Uh, just at the moment, so that's good. Wasn't there something else about? Uh, sorry, Murph. There's something else about after the the goal he got the previous at the weekend against Atlanta, where he said, "Yeah, great, yeah, nice goal." Not a big fan of him going around playing cards with his teammates at two in the morning the night before games. Mm. Yeah. So it seems to be like Spalletti can't just let anything yeah. go at the moment. What were you going to say? Toddy no, movies. Sorry. Yeah, just that. Uh, you know, if you only give a guy a one year contract, you're going to get a lot more. Mark Viduca style end of contract goal splurges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, it actually makes a lot of sense to just keep him hanging right to the end. Yeah. I mean, if only more, if only more people, more employees of Mark Viduca had figured this out, uh, you know, he could po- he could be possibly one of the great figures of English football. Just having a week to week contract. Yeah. Don't even bother with a season. Yeah, I think that that might have worked better. To do that, so yeah. a zero hour contract in the Premier League. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Terry Daly is a journalist based in Rome. He's going to be on the show today. And Dion Fanning's calling into us to talk about Everton's humiliation in the Merseyside Derby, which I imagine will probably pop up also during Ken's report on sport. Yeah, it really was quite humiliating, as the humiliations go, that Everton won um, to see what was happening in the last 10 minutes as the crowd at Anfield was just really delighting oh. and just rubbing Everton's nose in it. 
um, the the sort of cheering of every pass kind of thing that was going it was almost more uh, it was almost worse from everyone's point of view than the goals. It was uh, it was terrible. Um, so yeah, we we will talk uh, to Dion about that a bit later on. There is um, some potentially big news for Ireland. Um, it's not. I mean, this was announced yesterday, but uh, Ronnie Dale's departure from Celtic has been confirmed for the end of the season. Obviously, they lost to Rangers um, on penalties in the Cup over the weekend, which nobody liked uh, at Celtic. And Ryan Dale has gone and created a managerial vacancy. Um, and I do wonder if Roy Keane is going to be interested in taking it this time. Yeah, a lot of people were wondering that at the time. The timing would seem to fit a little bit better. He could complete his task with the Euros. Now, ideally, if he was being to become Celtic manager... We've seen this with Van Hal and others that it's better to be in there from the start of the summer and to have your imprint all over the signings and to have no other focus. But they're well, going to win the league surely next year anyway. So. Well, uh, when's the Euro 2016 final? 10th of July. Well, he's not, probably not going to be involved before then. Celtic, the Scottish league probably starts mid-July. He does start very early, that's the other thing. Yeah. You know, if Ireland were to go and win Euro 2016, <laughs> yeah. it would present a massive problem for Roy Keane. Um, uh, he could be finished by what the twentieth of June. Keen, well, that's Keen, one way of thinking. Ken Keen walks out on Irish homecoming parade, victory parade in, in Dublin. Yeah. Gets out of the group and he says, "My work here is done." Uh, I, I mean, he did. They, they obviously offered him the job previously. Yeah. Um, this was two years ago, and uh, at the time, well, he didn't really say too much at the time. It did look as though he was going to go. I remember where people, I, I sort of expect him to go. That was before the qualifiers had even started. Then he decided not to. And then he talked about it in his book, um, the book that he did with Roddy Doyle, where he basically said, they didn't make me feel so they wanted me badly enough. And they had, uh, if I recall, um, decided that someone ought to be his assistant manager. So he was kind of saying, well, I want to pick my own staff. And they said, well, you know, we think it'd be great if X could be your assistant. Kind of a, a gigsy setup. Uh, and he, di- he didn't really want that. Uh, and then he started to think, oh, you know, is this really, you know, the way Roy Keane sort of sometimes doesn't take much to get him, <laughs> to get his train of thought moving in, in, in one particular way. So uh, at the time, he basically said, you know, I wasn't really blown away by their offer. So I guess they know what to do this time if they're interested in getting him. Uh, I think maybe he would be more interested in taking. It. I think I think there was probably also an element of ooh, it would be a bit awkward to leave this Ireland job because remember he he did that Aston Villa job, but that was he you could kind of get away with that on a, on a part time basis. Well, he was saying, well, the Ireland job is part time if you like, you know. But being the manager of a club is is a kind of an all consuming thing. You can't. You can't be running off to be an assistant manager somewhere else. You know what I mean? So if what I mean is that if he'd taken that Celtic job in 2014, he would have had to leave, I think, the Ireland job. Oh, definitely. And I think that would have felt a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. It would have been embarrassing. It was kind of annoying, even the fact that it looked like it might happen. Yeah. It would have, it would have been embarrassing because, you know, he took... He t- I don't t- know about embarrassing. Ah, uh, it would have been embarrassing. For who, on. though? For Keane. Oh, I don't think so. I think it would have just been annoying for Irish football fans because we were all quite excited about him being involved. Nah, it would have been ridiculous as well. Oh, here's here, there's Keno. Yeah, he signs a deal. Oh, he's back with Ireland. We we want to win football matches. And then suddenly he's off, you know, managing Celtic in the one-horse town that is the Scottish Premier League. Come on. Embarrassing. And I think that was probably in his mind at the time. But it's a two-horse town now again. <laughs> and and he's kind of done. He, he's, you know, he's fulfilled. A, he's been part of a successful campaign. Um, it's not as though the, the last time he would have been leaving before we even played a football match. You know, never mind a competitive one, never mind one one. Whereas now we've uh, we'll have been in a tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, this is all speculation. We don't even know if Celtic. Maybe they didn't like uh, his attitude either. You know, uh, the, over the, the last six, maybe this won't arise again. But uh, you know, I think there's a, there's every chance that could be uh, could be back on. It's also a very, I think, a very good thing that he didn't go to Celtic when he did because he would have missed out on. Uh, restorative kind of couple of years it's he, certainly personality wise and what people think of Keane okay he's had a few brushes with some Ireland super fans and a, a couple of other <laughs> issues here and there oh, but yeah. by and large certainly on the sideline I don't think anyone's ever seen him even especially in his playing days but certainly as a manager being so expressive and so 
seemingly connected emotionally with this team. He looks just like he's having a whale of a time, certainly in the during the positive results. So I think he, I, I, it would have been a shame for him to have missed out on that. It would have. It, it would have. But now that it's done, I think... I mean, the last time he did a press conference, um, or he did the press conference after they qualified, and, you know, that, that morning, <laughs> typically... Well, he said that he, he'd basically been up till half six or seven in the morning. I mean, the press conference was, was I think, if I remember correctly, half nine. Um, but, you know, he was he was all suited up and looking pretty sharp. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he was saying then, look, I want to... Uh, I haven't sort of hidden the fact that I want to go and manage a team, manage, manage be a manager of my own team. Anyway, uh, that's all for uh, later in the summer, I guess. But... Um, so what's happening at the moment? There's sort of more media priorities, Leicester and Tottenham. Just looking at the odds for the Premier League, they've swung quite a lot now in favour of Tottenham from just the, the fixtures over the weekend because obviously Leicester couldn't win, although a draw was still a good result considering they probably should have lost. And then Tottenham had that really dominant performance on Monday night. And suddenly they've gone from like around 6-1 to one to like 2-1. to one. Um, And, you know, it's, it's possible to see how this could still happen. I mean, it, Tottenham kind of need to win their games. That's a given. Um, West Brom, Southampton, Chelsea and Newcastle but if they did that if they did that then Leicester need to win they need to beat Swansea they need to beat Everton and they need to get at least a point from Man United and Chelsea you know and you could see that you could see how they could lose two of those matches and if they did then they don't win the league you know. It's definitely getting tricky, but it's funny the coverage of Spurs in the last while. And I know they were brilliant the other night, uh, mm. the other day. They're absolutely superb. But when people talk about making a statement and this kind of phraseology, putting the pressure, it's it's sort of it's a bit late for that. I mean, it's just about picking up points now, really. Uh, sure, you'd rather win four 0 than have a than have a lucky one 0 victory. But Spurs, I think, are escaping a bit of criticism for everyone's just saying they're the best team this season, have been the best team. But Leicester are are is still in the driving seat to win the league. Spurs have been the best team for the last few months, but I was looking back to their results because I was trying to remember who they lost. You know, they lost to Newcastle yeah. at home. They lost to Leicester. They lost to Leicester. They drew like stuff like they, they drew twice against Everton. Like Everton are poor this season, mm. and Spurs drew twice against them. They drew twice against Arsenal. I'm pretty sure of that you want to be winning one of those North London derbies. Yeah. And they've let a lot of little results slip away. It's not as though we're they talking lost about to Manchester United. The Invincibles here of Tottenham, which is the way they're being portrayed. That somehow it, it seems almost like an anomaly that they're not top of the league. But yeah. the reason they've had some really bad results early in the season. Yeah, and I think uh, the fact that they haven't had like a terrible run means people, you know, people haven't been able to point at, oh, well, they lost it in November. They had a terrible November or something. They've just thrown in stupid results throughout the season. And Harry Kane took a long time to score yeah. goals. And I think people, yeah. as a result, I think people, uh, they've just said, well, you know, they've been very consistent, you know. Uh, because they haven't had that one <laughs> horrible blip. People like me who were looking back through their results this week trying to remember where did it all go wrong. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. it's not like Leicester have set a ridiculous pace. I mean, the points total is not... 73. Yeah, I mean, from, it's, yeah, yeah, it's not... It's, you know, it's it's by no means record-breaking. Yeah, and Tottenham are, like, on two two points per game. That's the pace they've been setting. Like, there's a little bit of the Arsenals about it, and not Arsenal this season, but in some seasons where they pressure is off and then they come on strong. Yeah. Uh, when really, if, if for a title-winning team should be playing, sh- shouldn't be dropping the sort of points that Spurs have dropped. But I'm saying all this now. In a couple of weeks' time, they could easily be champions, uh, assuming Leicester do falter. Uh, I'm still, I'm still plumping for Richie Sadler's Leicester game. Well, the thing is, the thing is that um, what's going to happen with Jamie Vardy's uh, Jamie Jamie Vardy's ban? Because Jamie Vardy is going to miss the game against Swansea, which is obviously very bad for Leicester, but he might miss the next game as well depending on if they decide to charge him for, you know, uh, shouting the odds after getting sent off. Um, he does, however, have at least one high-profile supporter in the form of Roy Hodgson, uh, the England manager, who says, I sympathise with him. He was very, very unlucky. And I will go out on a limb. I don't see that as a dive. Uh, I think he was unbalanced. Uh, it wasn't a penalty either. I just think he was unbalanced. <laughs> Running at that speed, very slight contact with the defender he was trying to cover. He went down because he was unbalanced. But of course, of course, all the pundits I hear are saying, he was trying to dive. Look how he dived. I don't see it. And I wouldn't blame him for that. I don't think he did go down. <laughs> it's not in his makeup. Um, so, so Roy kind of is obviously supporting his, his player, one of his England players who's going to be at the Euros. Fine, you think we know where he's coming from. Maybe he'll leave it there. But no. Uh, 
when you get sent off for something like that, where obviously he feels like I feel, there's no doubt he's of that opinion. That is, you know, he didn't have, he's had to swallow the fact that he's been made to leave the field. Then, of course, he's reacted like sometimes human beings react. He hasn't just said to the ref, that's all right, I understand, shake hands and have a good game. He's called him a few names, but he's a human being. That can happen. So Roy Hutchin, the thing, he just goes on and on. Whenever he's, when he starts to make a point, he just continues talking. You know the respect the ref campaign or whatever it's called? I know. Is that, an, is that an FA initiative? I know. The employer, he's their main employee. Yeah. yeah, in a lot of ways. And he's essentially saying that, you know, that respect the ref, just don't bother respecting him. Call ref, him whatever you want. That ref is not going to be uh, part of the English squad at Euro 2016. Players are players. You take everything a player brings. You take Wayne Rooney. He is, in my... Re- now, why is Hodgson talking about Rooney now? He is, in my recollection, he was pretty hot-headed earlier in his career and got himself into scrapes on the field. <laughs> well, thanks for reminding us of that. Um, but he talked then about... Um, is he just trying to fill a silence here? I mean, that's, that's what it sounds like. Just interject here. You know, <laughs> Royal keep talking. That's, that is what, it's, what it sometimes sounds like when Hodgson sort of starts just talking to fill, fill the silence. He goes, um, he starts talking then about uh, whether England players such as Rooney, um, Vardy, Deli Alley need to have a bit of a devil about them. One of the accusations after we lost to Uruguay in the World Cup is we were told England weren't streetwise enough. That's another interesting topic, because how do you make people streetwise if they don't grow up on the street? We're English. We're brought up in England. English schools, English culture, English parents. We're not from the back streets of Uruguay or Colombia, so I don't know what you can do as a coach to make them suddenly that way. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so he says he's going to drum discipline into the players. They must keep their cool. Don't lose your temper. We tell them all those things. But what if it happens anyway? People make it sound simple. Like all I have to do is go around to every player, give them a lecture. Listen, boys, we don't want anything like this happening. Just imagine it's the 89th minute. You get sent off. Look what would happen to us. They would nod very wisely. None of them would disagree. They'd all say, don't worry, we won't do it. You're right. But then it still happens. I think it will remain good. But I can't guarantee you Vardy, Rooney, Ali, or anyone else for that matter, is not going to do that. (laughs) Um... And he goes on to, to sort of talk about uh, how tournaments have an element of a lottery about them. We might play well and have bad results. We might play badly. The team might look like a disaster and sneak through. Um, he says, uh, it's a bit like rehearsals for a play. <laughs> the rehearsals might have been fantastic, but on the opening night, everyone forgets their lines or the play in some other way is a disaster. <laughs> the stage manager, for instance, you know, he could get something wrong. That is where all the judgment is. But I don't, you know, I fully believe we will go out and perform. But I don't know about refereeing decisions. I don't know if Del Ali's going to chip over or hit the post when he's just dribbled past four players. I don't know those types of things. So there's all the ways that things could go wrong for England in the summer. There's a touch of the Stevie Gerrards about that, isn't there? Just uh, the, the sort of concern about what, but the worst thing that might possibly happen. Yeah, there's all kinds of food poisoning. Yeah, the players could get food poisoning. France is quite, it's quite a distance away from you know, any major tectonic plates, but yeah. we don't know. We so, don't know. We don't know that. Something you know, underneath the Earth's crust could, you know, it, it, it could happen. It yeah. could happen. So, uh, so don't blame Roy mm-hmm. is all. Is <laughs> I, I think that the message, the underlying, the subtext there. See if you can spot the subtext here, Owen or Kieran. Uh, Sepp Blatter has today released a book. Yeah, it's a kind of a picture book coffee table book of Seth Platter uh, Life, Mission and Passion Football so it's, uh, but in, included in the book is uh, sorry just grammatically Mission and Passion football. semicolon I think so football. yeah yeah. For, or maybe it's football Mission and Passion like both his mission and his passion e- are football Mission plus Passion equals okay uh, but he here's a list of world leaders by football knowledge <laughs> Why would Seth have included this? Uh, apparently, the most knowledgeable about football world leader is uh, Vladimir Putin. That's who I was going to say. He's only number four. Oh. Uh, the most knowledgeable is Michael Sh- V. Higgins. No, doesn't feature in the top ten at all. Oh. Uh, That's uh, bullshit. <laughs> the, man, the man's a regular at Terry Ladd Park. The most knowledgeable is, in fact, Xi Jinping of the People's Republic of China, right. uh, followed by. Nelson Mandela, of course. Uh, Pope Francis in number three, ahead of uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, Does he have like a uh, like a, a bladder questionnaire that he hands out to every major world leader 
and judges the responses. I think he may actually be just listing world leaders in order of uh, what he considers to be their fame, influence or otherwise impressiveness. I'm going to say Cameron's not high up in that list. He's not a, wouldn't be a huge fan of the... No sign of David no. Cameron on this list. However, Queen Elizabeth is in there at number five. Oh, right, okay. Uh, just ahead of Silvio Berlusconi at number six. Now, given that he, he, he was I like mean, the... yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say Berlusconi knows a thing or two. Not a whole lot. You know, not a huge amount about football. I wouldn't say he was, you know, a sitting there with his Rotman's, you know, yearbook kind of, uh, you know, combing through all the lists of all statistics. But, you know, he, did, he, he was the president of AC Milan during their glory years. He probably picked up a thing or two. Uh, King Willem Alexander of the Netherlands, uh, Angela Merkel, number eight, Jack Chirac, uh, number nine, and William Jefferson Clinton is in there at number 10. No sign of, no sign of Barack Obama on that list but just so you know the stepladder has met all those people and uh, that's how ranks he recording when's the book out any oh it's out today it's oh, been, it's, it was it's launched out. launched yeah. today yeah so you can uh, probably pick up a copy it is only in German owned but I believe mainly it consists of pictures so do you want to talk about the Merseyside Derby before we go to D on it um, well just the it's, there's not really a lot to say. We'll, we, no, we, I think we'll just Same. talk to Dan about uh, a feeling of embarrassment, uh, says Martinez, a horrible experience for everyone at Everton Football Club. Um, for the probably another painful aspect of the night for Everton was the kind of casually dismissive comments of Jurgen Klopp, who was worried about uh, mainly Divock Origi's injury. Um, still no word yet on what, how badly damaged his ankle is. It's not broken, but apparently sprained possible ligament damage so they'll find that out um, but he said uh, yeah, the, the second half there was no real fight anymore uh, what can I say uh, when Stones had to come off it was really not easy for Everton and it changed it changed completely with, with the red card when Stones had come off it was really not easy we had a good moment we created chances to be honest I could sit here and say it was really difficult but in the second half it wasn't it was really difficult for Everton injuries, red card good opponent we did well so <laughs> Um, yeah, it wasn't too difficult uh, for Everton. Uh, Louis van Gaal, uh, meanwhile, uh, had uh, led Manchester United to a 2-0 win over Palace, a possible FA Cup uh, opponent uh, in the final for them as they were in 90, 1990. Um, but because this is sort of late-season Premier League and there's not really a whole lot at stake in the Premier League, it doesn't look like they'll make four place, although they will be watching the Arsenal results tonight fairly closely. Um, some people not turning up at Old Trafford. And the newspapers asking Van Hal about this. Uh, and Van Hal says, I didn't see quite a lot of empty seats, but you have seen it because you want to see it. Then you have to write it tomorrow in your paper. So a man sees what he wants to see. In this case, empty seats at Old Trafford, he reckons not that big a problem. Uh, but some of the papers are disagreeing. That's it for Ken Early's Report on Sport. FIFA made a movie recently. Did they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. God, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Sam Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible ego, but the real movie's on its way. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself, and I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you. We wanted to explain it. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, what I do? That was it. We wanted to explain it. You know, I just asked her to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds, and I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there were some expletive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement, definitely. <laughs> and you've used to figure it out, why don't you? Dion Fanning, now Sports Joe's chief sports writer, has arrived. Dion, how are things? Hi, Owen. How's it going? That's going pretty well. It's not going too well for <laughs> Roberto Martinez at the moment. How bad are things looking? Uh, as bad as as bad as it's, it gets, I think. Um, you know, watching the game last night, you kind of get the sense that if he survives for the for the cup semi final, he'll be doing very well. Uh, it's really gone so sour there, and I think the sort of discord. The Everton fans were chanting, "You're getting sacked in the morning," last night. So uh, they really seem to hate him now. The Everton fans, <laughs> they really, well, uh, they do, and and it's um, extraordinary because for a long time there was a you know there was a there was a, a big rump that were were pretty loyal to him, and uh, 
and it, and it's it's really gone. And I think the only consolation, as I know, such a small consolation, the only consolation was that in his post match interview. He actually admitted how bad they were. Yeah, he really did. He used the term embarrassing, a lot of words. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but you know, we're looking at it and thinking uh, he's going to, you know, if 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 he follows his his uh, his normal pattern, he'll actually blame the defeat on the on the sending off, or he'll blame the referee, he'll do something like that. And so it was actually not refreshing because there's not, nothing really refreshing about Everton at the moment. But it was at least something that he didn't come out and, and say anything like that and just admitted that this was terrible. Yeah, I mean, I wonder to what extent uh, he is a victim of hype, both uh, hype around Everton's young players uh, who maybe aren't as good as, you know, I mean, every, everybody looks at John Stones and, and Ross Barkley, say, and says these are these are good young players. But I don't know if they're necessarily outstanding compared to the general types of players that are in the Premier League these days, really. Um, and then his own hype... Uh, <laughs> Maybe maybe uh, Bill Kenwright's hype when he said the first thing Roberto said to me was, I'll get you into the Champions League. And so obviously Everton are now... Oh, this is only showing the top half of the they're, title. They've got 41 points. They're, they're uh, what, it's 14th? Um, you know, and, and it's kind of the, the extent to which they have... Um, they have not met the kind of expectations that people have. That's, that's the problem rather than the fact that he's done a really bad job. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's a third factor this season too, which is the kind of Leicester factor and the, or the Leicester Tottenham factor, and the, uh, the, the those two teams are at the top of the table. Uh, I remember when Everton played Spurs early in the season, talking to someone you know close to Everton who was saying, you know, Everton have a, a squad as talented as as, as Tottenham do. Uh, maybe that was you know, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't disagree with that in some ways. Um, but I, I would. Would you? Oh yeah. I mean, well, show me. Well, I suppose they've got Lukaku. Lukaku, Harry Kane. I think if Barkley. Uh, well, Ken just really doesn't rate John Stones. That's what you're saying. Well, no, I'm not not necessarily. But like, you know, a 20 year old central defender usually isn't going to be very good. I think no. a 20 year old 20 year old central defender needs uh, a different manager. He needs the man who was sitting in in the Sky Studio last night. David David Moyes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to remember who was sitting in this studio. Like, Thierry Henry. I don't know if that necessarily. It's a Michael Calvin's book last year. I know we've referenced it a few times in the show. Living on the volcano it has a chapter on Roberto Martinez and his management philosophy. I'm not the sort of manager who wants to win the game on Saturday and see what happens after that. I prefer a long term project. I like to build things, make decisions that may not be rewarded for another five or six years down the line. I don't think it can work in any other way. As a manager, you're a custodian of an incredible history. The relationship with thousands of families. Must must be taken into consideration. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's <a> bullshit. <laughs> it's it's top level. Absolutely. Yeah. You think? Five or six years. What's he talking about? But where, if you, if you where, where, what division are Wigan in now, by the way? Yeah. What division are they in? In the first division, aren't they? The League One, aren't they? So they've gone yeah. all the way. They've, they've really... Yeah. So if he genuinely believes up. that, is this part of his downfall that he might have thought... And also, you mentioned Bill Kenwright. The stuff on Bill Kenwright is hilarious. I mean, you've never heard a man speak so warmly about another man. Um, Martinez talking about Kenwright in this. Might he have placed too much store on the idea that those thousands of Everton families w- would be happy to see him be there for years to nurture the young players? Well, I think... There's there's a balance in all these things between uh, being a, a totally re- results orientated kind of maniac like Jose Mourinho, and being uh, a totally non results orientated maniac. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I th- and I don't think uh, Martinez is, 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 has got the balance right. Clearly, he hasn't got the balance right. And I think um, it is interesting uh, in in the modern game that. So much, so much of it. I think so much. He's done so much damage to himself by what he's how, how what he said. You know, post in his post match interviews. I remember years ago, kind of laughing when Jared Houllier said, "You know, the sixty seconds after a match when a manager goes on television are the most important sixty seconds of of his week." But actually, there's a, there's a kind of a truth in it because everything he said this season, um, and we talked about it after the uh, after the Chelsea game as well at Sanford Bridge when he came out and said he wasn't you know his team weren't the kind of team to run the clock down and this kind of stuff it's all it's re- it's it's been it's been very hugely damaging to him um and i think that's the problem and because of stuff like that is he not just the- trying to say positive dion is it not just a matter of a, a manager not wanting to land his players in but i i think there's a there's a there's a way i think there's a way of doing it and i think uh 
you 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 can people detect these people easily detect these days between sort of gen, you know the, the authentic voice of, and the authentic like Alex Ferguson didn't criticize his players but you knew he was pissed but off you knew, <laughs> yeah yeah um, and I can remember him being asked I remember some you know when he used to do press conference I remember once actually at Anfield uh, you know a young journalist asking Ferguson uh, you must have had harsh words in the dressing room for the players after that and Ferguson just looking at him saying we've got a new kid on the block <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah but you didn't he wasn't kind of coming out and, say, and everyone just said well, well let this guy be the <laughs> sacrificial lamb today um, so you know but he, but you knew how he felt. You, and, but but the problem is, is this, it's just this kind of, it just it seems to be disconnected from reality, and that's the problem. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do, I do think at this stage that Roberto Martinez has got to. Uh, I think it it does look unfortunately as though something is basically broken in his understanding of football. He doesn't, he doesn't. There's something that he's not quite getting. Um, I mean, when you look at his career. Um, you know, in the Premier League, effectively, Wigan and Everton are the two clubs. Um, he has never been able to put a team out that doesn't concede goals. It's just he can't do it. And you know, I mean, the, the the best season that he's had. If you, I mean, the best achievement that he has, I suppose, is winning the FA Cup. That was, you know, with Wigan. You know, a trophy for Wigan is, is a huge thing. Um, uh, but the best season in the league that he's had was the one directly after taking over from David Moyes. So they finished fifth in the league, uh, Everton, that is. Um, and, you know, they only let in 39 goals that season. But they almost immediately fell away. And the reason wasn't that they... I mean, they're still scoring the same amount of goals. It's always been kind of the same. That's consistent. But they just, uh, you know, 4-0 again. You know, how can you lose a game 4-0 to, to Liverpool twice? You know, it's just... It's, it's like... Uh, you know, whatever whatever his idea of okay, we're going to play positive football, we're going to pass the ball, we're going to be creative and all this kind of stuff, he's just leaving too much out about you've got to about the other side of the game. Well, I, I think he is, and I think it's, uh, and I, I don't think it's 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 is a proper reflection on how football should be or how footballers want to play the game. That you actually say, well, you don't need that stuff; doesn't matter. We're going to just we're going to be positive. Yeah, and it's and that's always been the you know his his Wigan team. The, the way they defended, you know, you'd see them defending set pieces and wondering if they'd ever sort of, you know, worked on anything. Mm. And, like, it's extraordinary. Everton, when he took over, that was Moy's defence. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what got him. That's, you know, and then he was able to build on that. And its foot has fallen away so quickly. And you would think, like, Stones, who came through and se- seemed like this great, you know, this final sort of legacy that Moyes had left them, uh, has has kind of fallen away because he's exactly... He doesn't a young defender. What is going to make mistakes? But you see what he was doing. You know what they were doing for the third goal, and uh, like that's just you know, that's stuff that uh, a, a different type of manager wouldn't allow allow, allow a defense mistakes for, for defense to be making. You mentioned his the honesty in his post match interview, and part of that was giving Funes Mori a bit of a going over for getting sent off. I don't know, I don't know if the interview that I, that I saw anyway on Sky mentioned the badge-kissing element to that. So he gets sent off for people who haven't seen it for a pretty horrible tackle and then is kissing the badge in some sort of show of idiotic defiance. Uh, he gets told off then, but was it one of the Everton coaches seems to be having a go at him as he's leaving the pitch. Uh, is this the kind of incident that one can read a bit too much into when it's a, a team going badly? Maybe this could have happened with a successful team, but it looks like it's always the teams who are struggling who end up in these weird situations. Yeah, I think there's something in it. I think uh, th- there was a real sense of a, a team kind of falling apart. 2 nil down, I think they were. At the yeah, time. but when Barkley was taken off as well, he looked pretty, pretty <laughs> unhappy too. And uh, you know, you've seen what the Leighton Baines comments and and, uh, and and how that went down, and, and Martinez's reaction to that as well. So, um, I think they, they're. I think that it's 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 as we said. It's it, there's there's so much. There's everything has been kind of ruptured. The relationship between the fans and the manager, between the players and the manager. Uh, I mean, you saw there was Graham Jones, one of the coaches, was actually had a go at. Oh, that that was who it was, Graham Jones. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought um, you don't often see that. No, you think he might wait until he gets inside and then, but you know, he's obviously. Graham Jones himself just lost the head a little bit, or maybe he was right. He, he, he was right. He was right. He was completely right. Like, was completely to, stupid, to, yeah. to kiss the badge when you've actually just uh, reduced, you know, brought your side down to ten men for for nothing. Yeah. For a, just a, a piece of uh, just a, a nasty. Just your own piece of yeah. Um, yeah. 
Anyway. It was it was ridiculous. Like it was a really really stupid thing to do. And I don't like. Now I saw somebody on Twitter last night saying uh, that Carragher said afterwards that the Everton fans wouldn't fall for that. And I saw a tweet from some Everton fans saying you should see my timeline. <laughs> so, uh, so maybe some people had fallen for it. But uh, okay. um, but I don't think. I, I again I don't I don't think I don't think anyone w- one will. And like, that's just that sort of again that t- total a total lack of professionalism, which kind of now sums up the sort of the, the Martinez era. Yeah. Well, they're playing Manchester United in the FA Cup semi-final this weekend. Is there, uh, do, in your opinion, if they beat Manchester United, if they win the FA Cup, is that enough to save Roberto Martinez? Because I think on the basis of the Premier League, it's it's clear that 90, 95% of Everton fans think, okay, he's got to go. We've, we're done now with, with this Roberto Martinez. But how happy would those fans be for, with a trip to Wembley, especially if they, if they won it? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they get to go at least once to Wembley. may not necessarily be a happy experience, but they could potentially win two matches at Wembley and the FA Cup. And if that happened, do you think it's, it's, um, it's like, okay, well, you know, at least there's that. Let's build again for the, for the next five or six years. Um, I think there's, there's, there's got to be a chance because uh, if you're as persuasive and uh, as as smooth a talker as as uh, Martinez is, then maybe you say we're well, here. We've got an FA Cup. You know, it's inter- it'll be interesting what what the what the new investors want to do, and um, that's the thing. And and uh, whether they're whether they have somebody whether they have somebody lined up or whether they think right the way we're going to go in is is going to give him some money, let him spend, and, and see what happens. But I think they need to win the FA Cup. Clearly. The chances of beating Manchester United are are, are are really diminished after after Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah it's probably uh, moot point. It doesn't look as though they're carrying much confidence in that one. Liverpool, on the other hand, though, again, poor, <laughs> unbelievable. It, well, I mean, um, just at the end of the game, they showed a statistic on screen. It was like attempts forty-one three, three yeah, uh, which was just the ridiculous. It's like Ireland Liechtenstein. You know, uh, but with goals, they managed to score four goals. Um, but it seems as though Liverpool have really started to roll now for the first uh, for the first time under Jurgen Klopp. Uh, they're scoring a lot of goals. Um, you know, they're they're they've got into a kind of a good rhythm. I mean, they've 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 suffered a couple of injuries that don't seem to have really affected them. Although maybe you know, time will tell with that. And they've suddenly got uh, emerging in the form in the shape of Divock Origi. A guy who suddenly appears to be one of the best strikers uh, in the league, which I don't think is a development that anyone would have foreseen, particularly after, I think, or, or, was Origi's debut in the league or his full debut club's first game, the the match against Tottenham? I mean, he, yeah. did play, he did play in that game. <clears throat> and I remember he looked uh, like a willing runner, um, but maybe the not most pleasing striker in the eye, uh, to borrow a phrase from years ago. Uh you know, he he had had the season in France where, you know, he'd won various awards for, oh, the most disappointing player or worst foreign player or whatever it was they were calling him. Um, and it looked as though he wasn't really going to be capable. He was another transfer committee disaster. Based on what he's been doing over the last five or six games, he looks potentially an absolute star. It's it's really amazing to see. Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, he's 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 bulked up. And uh, it's like that, you know, that extra strength has also somehow is the ability to hold off players has made him more confident on the ball too. So he's he's he looks more skillful. I was at that game against Spurs, and you wouldn't have seen him becoming the player he, he is at the moment. Um, but a lot of a lot of players, and funny, a lot of the players that uh, were signed by by the transfer committee have have improved under Klopp. You know, Emre Chan, uh, Firmino's had a good season, and. Uh, um, I think his kind of willingness to 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 embrace that idea and how he had no problem with he wasn't causing friction with the idea of of a transfer committee um, is kind of bearing some some fruit now. Uh, but it's um, it's interesting for Liverpool because clearly the problem is again <laughs> expectation. You know, having a good end of a season um, when maybe some teams you know, like teams like Everton are falling apart, other teams might be losing a bit of interest then creates greater expectation for Liverpool next season. And so Klopp, presumably, is going to spend money in the summer, and then people will be talking 
especially in the context of the way the league is at the moment, mm-hmm. people will be saying, oh, it's, it's uh, a title challenge is, is on here. You mentioned that a lot of players signed under the transfer committee have improved under Klopp. One improvement that I've been struck by is, is that of a player who was very much a Brendan Rodgers signing, who is Joe Allen. Um, Joe Allen it seems to come on a lot as a substitute, uh, but <laughs> invariably he has a really positive impact. Uh, he's playing better under Klopp than... I remember him ever doing for for Brendan Rodgers, which is remarkable. Yeah, I think maybe he started off quite well under Rodgers uh, at the beginning of Rodgers' first season, but then uh, it seemed to it just, it just seemed to be it seemed to be too big for him. And maybe I think one of the things Klopp does is actually tries he does actually he is very good at sort of relaxing players and making them making them feel as if this is something to kind of savor and relish rather than. Feeling the the weight of of of, of supporters' expectation and the burden of playing for a big club, which I think is something that Alan struggled with, and I think Klopp's whatever he Klopp does, uh, it, that it, that is one of his the keys to his success that he he gets players to. I think it's I think it's a bit trite to say they enjoy it because it's still it's still, still a serious thing for Klopp, but he he does try and take away the real heavy weight of expectation and, and pressure. Dion, great to have you in the studio. Thanks, Al. Hair dryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Yeah, let's just go back to the point that Dion made about Jurgen Klopp and the expectation on Liverpool next season. When they, when he took over, um, there was a fear that he might run these players into the ground a little bit. You know, expect them to immediately be up to his level of intensity. And you remember even the early stats in the early games were being used to, well, actually, really to denigrate Brendan Rodgers and say, look, these guys can actually run quite a bit more. But there was always that fear that players might get injured and it might just take a while to get to the pitch of it. I don't know if those those fears haven't really been realised. I don't think, but more to the point, next season he's got a full preseason. He can actually do the training he wants to do. He can set all those, you know, he can set all those training regimes exactly as he wants for mm. each player. And presumably by the start of next year, we'll have them absolutely flying. Yeah, well, you don't know. I mean, this is, because I do think there is a certain amount of there is a certain random element to this. Now, Raymond Verheyen, for instance, had had a go at at Jurgen Klopp. Uh, soon after he took over, I mean, to you know, he did say when Klopp took over, "Watch out for the injuries, the injuries that are going to happen." And sure enough, they had this this uh, epidemic of injuries, sort of in January, which comes after particularly intense, you know, fixture heavy, fixture congested, you know, bad weather, tough, sort of demanding part of the season. And uh, you know, Verheyen could could legitimately point to his prediction and say, "Look, this is what you know, this is what happens." Um, that's fair enough, but what Verheyen's uh, prescription for the situation was totally ridiculous. What was it? It was inane. What was it? Well, his idea was that um, that rather than try to do what Jurgen Klopp does, Klopp should have tried to do something other than what Jurgen Klopp does when he arrives. Essentially, to play a different type of football, you know, to, to adopt a much less intense approach in an effort to sort of shepherd the squad through this and, and like run out the clock in you know October for, like this season's gone now yeah well like to husband the hamstrings careful hamstring husbandry <laughs> you know and other, and other muscles to try to not overload the players to put too much on them uh, and you know and, and essentially to make changes to the way that they were training and the, the way that they were playing particularly the way that they're playing because as far as I remember Ryan was saying it's, it's, it's the style of play it's the constant demand for more effort in the game that's causing the sort of overload the, or most of the overload and that therefore he should change that and adapt to this uh, different situation and so on but that's to me that's that's I mean, I mean if ever there's a classic sort of baby out with the bathwater, mm. that's it you know it's okay it, there's no point in Klopp coming in and playing football that he doesn't think is the is the right style of play he has to say okay this is what we're going to do this is going to be our style of play uh, this, is, this is what you're doing here, you know, and, and some of you won't be able to cut it, and I will get rid of those players. And they're also finishing strongly, though. That was my point. I forgot about the <laughs> load of injuries in January. Okay, that's mm. fair enough. But they're finishing the season looking pretty powerful, even against Klopp's former club, uh, many of whom he had trained up to uh, play like they were playing. 
They looked like they could. Ma- they eventually got a hold of them. They looked great against Everton yesterday. Uh, we'll see again at the weekend. But it it seems it seems like those fears were not totally realised despite those injuries. No, I, I, they they are. I mean, the thing is, I suppose everybody gets tired during the season. Like Liverpool have had players, maybe players who were injured and maybe fresher now as a result of having missed weeks. Um, you know, Coutinho had missed some weeks. He looks good at the moment. Origi had missed a big chunk of the season. Klopp said that he came back, you know, having to change wear a different shirt size. You know, he underwent Operation Transformation. Right. So he's this kind of muscle-bound, uh, you know, he, he he's he's absolutely dominant at the moment. I mean, unfortunately now, another injury, not the kind that you can really blame on training or style of play or whatever. But... Uh, yeah, so you, you have seen some some improvements. I just I just thought that with Verheyen's case, Verheyen was making a reasonable case, but it's a fitness coach's case. It's like, what are my priorities for my players not to get injured? Well, Klopp's priority as a manager is to try and win matches. And play, if players get injured as a result of trying to win matches in what he thinks is the best way to do that, then he's just going to have to accept that. Francesco Totti, at 39 years of age, is still going strong. Reminded Italian football of his brilliance last night by coming off the bench, scored twice for Roma to beat Torino. And if you've had a look at this online at all, the scenes were just, just pandemonium, really, at the Stadio Olimpico. Terry Daly is based in Rome. Terry, it looked fairly epic. It was kind of epic. I mean, part of, part of the epicness of the event was, of course, a lot to do with the backstory surrounding uh, Totti and, in particular, the row that he's been having with uh, the club over a missing, according to him, one-year extension to his contract and the row of his manager over not being played as a first-team regular ahead of Edin Dzeko, who anyone who's seen Roma play this year knows is having an absolutely terrible time of it up front. Um, yeah, it was very, very interesting to see him come off, especially you know scoring after 22 seconds after coming off the bench and then scoring three minutes after that to win the game after being 2-1 down. After Roma played really, really badly as well for most of the game, um, you can perfectly understand really why those who actually bothered to turn up to go and watch the game um, went absolutely berserk, and the uh, reaction in the press afterwards as well has been uh, has been quite something. I mean, most Roma fans now are basically clamouring for him to be given a new contract, and you have to bear in mind as well that this is on the basis of about 61 minutes of football over three games in which he scored three goals and set up another. Hmm. So you know, kind of on the incredible form for a 39-year-old. Yeah, 39 years of age. He's been playing for the first team since 1992, which is absolutely staggering. Is this the kind of thing that gets him going now, these uh, it, disputes that he's having with the club and with the manager about not playing enough and maybe not getting a new contract? Do you think at, at the age that he's at now, he actually needs something like that to light a fire? Um, I think the... Uh, the row that he's been having with the club and with Spalletti has definitely put the bit between his teeth. It, it looks, you can see that, I mean, when he scored the equaliser Atalanta at the weekend, he charged, he didn't, they didn't go and pick the ball up to try, you know, like you normally would when you've just scored an equaliser, you know, to try and win the game. With the five minutes that were remaining, he celebrated in his equalisers as almost a way of proving a point, which really, really angered Spalletti after the game. It was one of the reasons why they had such a huge bust up in the dressing room afterwards in which he railed against the players saying they were staying up late playing cards instead of preparing themselves for the game. Um, and after his equaliser uh, last night, he did exactly the same thing. He charged under the, under the Curva Sud to, you know, to celebrate with the fans. Instead of the players running in to get the ball and put it back on the, straight back on the, uh, on the um, centre circle, despite the fact there was only four minutes left and Roma really, really needed to win that game because... It had they not won that game, if they had only drawn it, they would have been, I think, six points behind Napoli, who are in second. And Napoli have the last uh, auto- automatic qualifying spot for the Champions League. So, And Napoli come to Rome on Monday. So it was a really, really, really important game to win. Um, nonetheless, uh, it's kind of hard to say what motivates him, really. I mean, he is 39 years old. And from a certain point of view, you can understand why the club don't want to renew his contract because he cast such a shadow over everyone else who plays there, particularly attackers. And any time he does anything good or any time he speaks in the media, fans are immediately behind him. I mean, before the start of the game last night, when the stadium announcer announced Spalletti's name, the, the crowd booed him. And you, you booed the manager who has taken a team that was basically completely in pieces at the end of Rudy Garcia's reign and has strung together 12 matches without losing. 
including now, I think, is uh, 10 wins, which is kind of incredible that you have a manager that has done that. But they've done that because he's gone, he's made public remarks against Totti, and in Rome, if you say things against Totti, you're going to have the city against you. I mean, he's, he's basically, I would say that he's fighting with Pope Francis for the holiest figure in the city, <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. But, you know, I mean, that, that, that was okay when Totti was still good. But now that he's nearly 40 and clearly past it, at this level, uh, that's a disaster. Uh, you know, he's a kind of a toxic figure to have. That. Toxic is maybe is is maybe harsh, but you know, it's it's clearly holding the team back to have this guy there. Particularly if you know um, the fans kind of want him in the team ahead of guys who who really should be. There. It's just a, a, a kind of a, a sideshow, a sort of circus. It's obvious that they should say to Toddy. Thanks very much for the 75 years you've spent with the club, but now the 75 is enough. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to say that as a detached observer, to be honest, and I would be inclined to agree. And that's the reason why I don't think Roma are going to give him an extension to his contract. I mean, Palotta has not come out and said that he won't, but he's not come out and said that he will. And surely if he wanted to carry favour with the fans, who, a lot of whom don't really like him all that much, um, he would immediately come and say, yes, absolutely, we're going to give him an extension to his contract, which leads me to, suggest, leads me to think that he, he doesn't have a future as a player at Roma. Um, and part of the reason for that is is definitely the fact that in some quarters he can be seen as a sort of a maligned figure. I mean, I know it's hard to say what Spalletti thinks really, but it's fairly clear that the two don't get on and haven't done for a very long time. And that this stretches back to when they they were... He was manager in his first spell in Rome. I mean, Spetti was basically the person who reinvented Totti in, in, in the mid-2000s. I mean, he, he made him the fourth nine. That then led to the, the adoption of fourth nine across the world, including Lionel Messi. I mean, he made a really staggering tactical change in re- reimagining Totti as, as fourth nine. So he obviously understands how good a player he is. And it's fairly obvious that he also knows when it's time for Totti to quit. I mean, he doesn't ever start him. And that's correct he's 39 years old he can't last 90 minutes it's simply not possible however it's also clear that he he still can make an impact as an impact sub and if Totti was prepared to play as a player who would come on for five ten minutes every now and again to try and help win a game that they were maybe losing or maybe come on when Roma were winning three or four nil and he could have the applause of the crowd and do a bit do a couple of circus, circus tricks and what have you that would be fine, but Totti doesn't want that. He wants to start. He wants to play. He still thinks he's good enough to play. And at that point, as a club, you either back your manager or you back a player who is only going to retire in a couple of years, maximum anyway. Mm. So um, it's for that reason where I think the club aren't going to renew his contract and he will probably end up going to either United States or somewhere in the Emirates. Why do you think it is that he hasn't sort of done what, uh, I mean, somebody, a comparable figure like Steven Gerrard did uh, when he sort of felt maybe that he wasn't going to be able to play in every game um, or he, he, I mean I think he said when he left Liverpool that he, he wanted to stay there but the manager had kind of said to him well look you, you're, you're kind of going to be a, a squad player now and Jared didn't want that um, so he left. Why has Toddy been able to sit there gathering splinters for years and years and years without ever saying you know maybe it would be better for both of us if, if I moved on well, I mean, it's, it's harsh to say that he's been gathering splinters for years and years. I mean, he did play an awful lot more last season, and he did play an awful lot under Rudy Garcia. I mean, you got to bear in mind, last season he did uh, another one of his big, you know, magic tricks was to help uh, Roma draw the derby with Lazio and, you know, scoring two absolutely incredible goals. So he definitely has, he still has the talent and the ability to make an impact at the top level, but the, the problem is basically that he doesn't see himself as a substitute. He doesn't have he doesn't have the humility, I suppose, of a Gerard who could who obviously saw that he wasn't cutting it on the pitch and thought, okay, I'll rather bow out with grace. Um, Totti doesn't think he's got to that level. Totti still thinks that he can he can clearly play over an extended period of time for at least another couple of years. And whether he's right or wrong. He is fully entitled to think that. I mean, he, he, you can see from his performances in the last few games that he, he, he clearly can influence matches, but not over 90 minutes. He can't run anymore. I mean, you play, you play him for more than 45 minutes, or if you start him, you have to take him off at half-time. 
which creates enormous tactical problems for any manager there. Um, and at the end of the day, I think the reason why he's not going to stay and that, that, that Roma will basically have to force him out um, is that he just doesn't think that he's, um, he's past his best. He still thinks he's good enough. Terry, and no one's going to change his mind. No, I wouldn't imagine so. Terry Daly in Rome, thanks so much. Thank you. You sound a little bit like you're on Spalletti's side here, Ken, that Toddy needs to be cut loose. But, uh, you know, scoring two goals, scoring another goal last weekend and generally being brilliant in the last couple of games is surely putting a bit of a, putting a bit of doubt in your mind? No, I don't think that he's the kind of leader or, or elder figure that that squad, that any squad needs. You know, I mean, when you think of Giggs, Giggs is the only other player I can think of in recent times who's played to such a, an age. It wasn't like he was kind of acting, you know, like this sort of diva like this uh, giant ego running around, like communing with the fans. You know, he was he was like ultra sort of modest and humble. Maybe it's a slightly different setup there with, with you know, Ferguson being this kind of all-powerful tyrant. You know, if we all know how he would have treated Giggs if Giggs had, had started to behave that way. But, you know, you've got to accept that you aren't what you were. Hmm. And I think Tony finds it difficult to accept that, but... Just because he doesn't find it, he finds it hard to accept doesn't mean that it's not the case. So yeah, just think it's a bit of a distorting. We've got another podcast out today featuring Ken Early's U.S. adventures, more from Arcadia National Park oh, and yeah. a visit to not one, but two bastions of third level education in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. And then I went down to Southie, Owen. I decided to go to Southie. All right. What's that? Where's Southie? Uh, it's South Boston. Have you ever seen The Departed? Oh, I have. Yeah. That's their neck of the woods. That's their neck of the woods. Um, it's it's the country Ireland could have been. Exactly. This is what this is what the Irish people would have produced, given the unlimited economic uh, freedom and plenty available in the United States. Uh, this is what we this is what we could have done uh, in Ireland. So I went along to a bar called Croke Park, uh, which you might yeah, um, if you find it, go in there. I've left some messages for you on the wall. Excuse, Excuse me? <laughs> yeah, I left some messages for you on. For, well, for you and for any listeners who might be happening by. You graffiti the walls? Well, you can, you can, the whole place is covered in graffiti. It's like the kind of place you go in and it's sort of, you know, people sort of turn and look at you. Um, you have to pull the me- heavy metal door open with a cord. It used to be called Whitey's, uh, but the owner, uh, Whitey McGrail, was shot uh, at the bar. Uh, so they renamed it Croke Park. It's just around the corner from the big mural. Ireland unfree will never be at peace. And it's got like a picture of Ireland. Ireland is there in green uh, with Northern Ireland shaded in a Union Jack colour. And then next to it is Britain in Union Jack. Or it's Ireland minus and then Britain with the Union Jack equals tricolour. Ireland unfree will never be at peace. Um, but yeah, I have left a couple of uh, cool little messages, mementos for you. Are they second captains related? They might be. Are they related to Owen McDevitt specifically? Actually, no. Uh, no, I was wishing happy birthday to one to an Irish warrior yesterday. Okay, right, yeah. You know who it was. Yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Twenty Here's The 20th of Brosnan? April. No, mm. I, d- I don't know whose birthday was the 20th of April. A 40th birthday. Just pay a visit to Croke Park in South Boston to find out more, again, I think is the way to... Yeah. Wrap this up it's a good place to be. Pabst Blue Ribbon, $1.50. <laughs> that is the cheapest beer in America. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good place to be. Listen to that other podcast. You'll hear a great chat with Nick Harris of SportingIntelligence.com about Djokovic, Murray, and their mm, contrasting strategies around talking publicly about the thorny issue of doping in tennis. That's it from this one. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.